I'm Abby. I'm Allie. We're the Rannick Twins, and this is Oops, I Arden. So, to celebrate Black History Month, we will be covering several stories about prominent black female musicians. So, both of us have prepared a story or two. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Sure. So, the first woman I want to talk about is Nina Simone, one of my favorites. I love her. I'm not sure if it's a cover or not a feeling good. Yeah, well, that's the hard thing to tell, I think it's her, yeah. I love a lot of Nina's stuff. We'll be covering one of the songs that I really like by her that's banned, right? I can't say it. It's Mississippi something. I'm sure if you like it. She also does Whiskey Bar, which the Doors do a cover of. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. So, Nina Simone was actually her stage name. It's not her real name. She was born Eunice Wayman on February 21st. Her birthday will probably have already passed when this comes out. And she was born in 1933. So she was really big in the church scene. She was in the church choir. She had a good grassroots start. A lot of her music is very gospel influenced and heavily, especially in her piano play. Yeah, I was about to say, is that where she learned to play the piano? Yes. Oh. And I got a lot of this not only from a great segment on NPR, but also from Mental Floss. She was raised in a church, started playing piano by ear at three oh. years old. That's awesome. Yeah, and she was born in Tryon, North Carolina, and cool story, I'll tell you about her hometown after this. But anyways, let's get back on track. Nina Simone was her stage name. She was singing in clubs. She was singing the devil's music. By the age of 21, she was going by Nina Simone in Atlantic City, and she did this because she didn't want her mom to find out, and she was using the money to pay for her piano lessons. Oh, that's really cool. Okay. I thought it was really cool, too. So her boyfriend used to call her Nina. I love it. And she said that Simone was inspired by Simone. Signore? Signore? Yeah, she's an actress that Nina looked up. Okay, that's really cool. And one of my favorite things about Nina and why I picked her is because from the very beginning of her musical career, she was an activist. And she had her feet firmly planted in the ground at the very beginning. So there's a story. This is what sparked my interest because I heard this on the radio on the way home from class. Really? Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm just going to have to look into this. <laughs> this is when Nina was younger, around 12. She wouldn't play at the church revival because her parents had to sit in the back. Yeah. And she demanded that they sit in the front. Yeah, that's really awesome. Really young. She was using her music. She was creating a message. She was standing her ground. And I respect that. Yeah, I think she understood, even from a young age, that that was not okay at all. Did they get to sit in the front? I'm not completely sure. I haven't read any articles that have said that. I'm not sure if she did or did not play at the church revival. Okay. So I don't know if she did get what she wanted. And a lot of people did not appreciate this activism. One of her songs was banned, which is the one we were talking about at the top of the episode. It's called Mississippi Blank Blank. I'm not even gonna say the beginning or end of that word in fear of this episode not going on in the air. But it's Believed, legend has it that she wrote the song in 20 minutes to an hour because she was so fed up of everything that was happening. She was fed up with racial unrest that was happening within the country. Yeah, and the lyrics are definitely indicative of that. I really appreciate that she took this route because this is preserved in history. Not only that the song got banned, which I think ultimately made it more popular, but also because it preserves a message still today, you know? Yeah, and it was written in the 60s. That explains a lot of this anger because... And the song was banned... Not only because of the expletive 
that is the second half of the song title. But that is how they were like, we won't play it because it has a curse word in it. But it kind of She leads... literally calls out the governor by name. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> leads to believe it's more than that because the stations were returning the records cracked in half. <laughs> so I think that's more than just having a little bad word on it. Well, it's interesting because what year was that? You said the 60s? 64. Jim Morrison got arrested for being explicit in Florida in 1969. We covered a couple episodes ago, so... Yeah, yes. And he was also preaching a forward modernist thinking message. The last thing I want to talk about is that Nina Simone passed away in 2003, April 21st. I'm not sure the reason. I didn't look into that because I was more excited about this. In 2010, an eight-foot sculpture was erected in her hometown, which is Tyron, North Carolina. And it's in Nina Simone Plaza, naturally. But what I thought was so cool is her daughter, Lisa Simone Kelly, gave the sculptor, whose name is Zenos Frudakis, she gave him some of Nina's ashes to weld into the bronze heart of the statue. Really? Yeah. Oh, that is precious. I thought it was so touching. And the sculptor said, he said, quote, it's not very often done, but I thought it was part of the idea of bringing her home. That is so heartfelt. It's such a nice touch. I know. It really is the cherry on top. So yeah, Nina Simone, activist, musician, forever engraved in our hearts and in the bronze heart of her statue in Tryon, North Carolina. I love it. It's so cool. I have a new appreciation for Nina Simone. I know, me too. I'm so glad. I've always been really into her music. I'm so glad that we did this. Yeah. We should have told the story second because the story isn't as happy, I guess. It doesn't have the most happy ending. Well, I guess it has a decent happy ending. So you've heard of Betty Boop, right? Boop, boop, boop. Yeah. (laughs) Boop. So everybody, I believe, have heard of Betty Boop. She's also in Roger Rabbit, a rendition. A lot of pop culture still, I believe, has her. I think you can go to Walmart and probably find something Betty Boop related still. (laughs) But there's a story behind where she actually originated from and where the boop boop dee doop came from. So it's not just a cartoon character that some genius guy thought of one day. It was smart of him to turn it into a cartoon character. But she's based off of something. Yes, she's a caricature. So when I began looking this up, I saw a lot of people talking about Helen Kane and her likeness to Betty Boop, which if you do look up pictures, you can see that she does look like the Betty Boop cartoon. So I think that he got that from somebody else. But the original... Baby singing is what they call it. Baby singing? Yes. Okay. Is from Esther Jones. And she is an artist that got started at the Cotton Club in Harlem around 1928. During the Harlem era. Yeah, the Harlem Renaissance. Yes. So she was the late 1920s. She was singing. She was believed to be taught by Lou Walton, who I also read was Lou Bolton, but... I also read that it was misheard, so it was written down incorrectly, so I'm not sure which... Interesting. Yeah, so Esther Jones, also known as Baby Jones, started at the Cotton Club, and she was taught by Lou. She learned from him a scat-style type improv that was popular in that era, and super cool. And there's a great Office episode about it. (laughs) I don't know if you remember that. So she incorporated this into her music style. So that's where the boop boop doop boops. Yeah, she the boo boo booty doo stuff like that. So Helen Kane, who was a singer and an actress, went to the club one night.
right? They saw her, her perform. Yeah, they saw her perform, and her manager claims this. They saw her perform, and she was so inspired, she started to incorporate that into her act as well. So you're saying that Helen went and saw Esther and later started scatting. Yes, started incorporating just the baby style, which if you've listened to Ella Fitzgerald or Rose Murphy, Rose Murphy does, she also did Chi Chi. She does Peekaboo. Yes. And I Want to Be Loved by You, which Helen, I believe, also does. So she started doing the boop boop bee doo stuff like that. Then Max Fleischer, Fleischer, F-L-E-I. Correct me if I'm wrong. He, alongside Paramount Studios, created Betty Boop and started introducing her into cartoons. And she took off and she was a demure woman that sang and danced, looked a lot like Helen Kane. And Helen decided to sue Paramount for $250,000 in the 20s. And this is because she looked... Yes, so she's saying like Yes, so she sued Paramount for using her likeness and singing style, quoted with saying, Betty Boop's boop-boop-a-doop style constituted a deliberate caricature. But she stole the boop-boop-a-doop from Esther. Yes. And neither of them look anything like. And Betty Boop, I read, was actually modeled after a French poodle, and her ears slowly turned into the earrings that she wears now. Okay. But I might be wrong on that. So Helen's over here saying it's a caricature. They took it to court. So this was in the 30s that she was, like, upset about it. By 1934, her court case began to fall apart because the manager, Helen's own manager, ratted her out. <laughs> he was like, hey, you know, you're over here trying to tell everybody yeah. that this boop boop a doop style is yours, but you totally saw Esther Jones do it, yes. and then like a week later, you started doing it yourself. Exactly. So he ratted her out in court, and Lou Bolton, Esther's teacher, was there and was like, cool. I taught her how to sing like Edith Griffith, and they showed evidence of that as well, and I don't think it was until... They showed video evidence of Esther Jones singing in her baby style that she does. That they were like, okay, this is actually legit. They had to really work super hard. they proved it. Yeah, so in in the end, I don't even think Esther was there. I don't know if she had passed away or if she just didn't want anything to do with it, but she was not there at all. She didn't attend the court proceedings or but anything like that. But she was like given that. the recognition that she yes. deserved yes. for that style. To be part of, you know, such an early scene and inspire people like somebody I I really love, Rose Murphy, the Chi-Chi girl. She's yes. in and the Dove commercial. Dove, yeah. yeah. And it's super great. Dove is, you know, not I a sponsor, love busy line. She just <laughs> yes. has, Rose Murphy really has a great, unique style of using not only her vocals as an instrument, but also even her shoes. Yeah. Well, the, I think this was when playing piano was entertaining, you know. You yes, I agree. For fun. I think this is pretty triumphant, having a case... Helen Kane being proven wrong yes. about this and being stopped from taking credit for something that wasn't hers. Yeah, absolutely. Especially for the night. 19- yeah. My story was talking about how it's 30 years after. Nina Simone's song got banned. I mean, there was yeah. there's still struggle and there, there's still a struggle today. Love listening to older blues like Nina Simone and Rose Murphy, especially. I'm, I didn't even know that Rose Murphy took inspiration from Esther Jones until I was looking into this story. Yeah, and there's so more to talk about. So there will be more to come, I'm sure. I'm glad that we did a special episode this month, though. Me too. And we will be back with a new episode 
next week on Kurt Vonnegut. Yes. We're going to be talking about the crazy life of Kurt and his book, Time Quake, because it's my favorite. I thought <laughs> we won't be able to help. All right. So we will see y'all next week. Goodbye.